And I think what they're doing is probably the best thing they could possibly do, which is because you had institutional investors going, I'm sorry, it's time to restructure. Like you, you got to think about this completely different than we did four years ago. You know, many Amazon sellers think business growth is the same as sales growth. But if you're smarter, you know, e-commerce businesses are sold as a multiple of profits, not of sales. So if you want to build a sellable business, you need to grow profits and to grow profits, you need to cut waste and increase profitable sales. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. Go to AmazonProfitQuiz.com. That's AmazonProfitQuiz.com to get your free instant diagnosis. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon business owners. Today, we are talking to Chris Shipling from Global Wide Advisors, and I'm always glad to talk to these guys because every Six months is roughly when we end up speaking. And my goodness, every six months, everything changes because we're talking about Amazon aggregators. Is it aggregator agony or what's going on with them? Are they buying businesses anymore? And the other basic question we're going to deal with in the next episode is really, you want to sell or maybe you don't want to sell, but you need an injection of funding. What do you do? Chris, welcome back. First of all, good to see you. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, man, this is the, you were the first podcast Global Wired Advisors ever did in this Amazon space. So you're the OG. And you've come back. Yeah, come back for more. Good to have you here. And so first of all, let's talk about Global Wired Advisors. Um, and just for anyone who hasn't heard of you guys, just one minute, 60 seconds on you and why people should listen to what you have to say. Yeah, no, again, appreciate coming on. And we're a, a lower middle market investment bank with the careers that have spanned over 20 years in institutional investment banking, as well as myself. I worked over a decade and a half inside of CPG from companies 22 to, to 500 million, having worked with Amazon.com since before they even had a seller central, working only with a random book, as I called them, the random bookseller back in 2003, <laughs> having worked with Wayfair when they were called ZSN stores. So extensive experience inside of e-commerce and really watching it flourish and become more of a important measure of reach sales. So that's a little bit about our background so we can set the stage on some credibility. And uh, yeah, so we are focused on sell-side transactions, but in recent history, just kind of given the overall market is, not just the aggregator market, which is what we'll, we'll get into, the, or the aggregator takeout, as we call it, we pivoted a little bit more towards advisory and consulting services, whether it's growth consulting, helping the brand owner find all the right resources and business planning to fractional CFO services and et cetera. We've really been pivoting over the course of the past year into offering much advisory slash consulting and really being, I'd say, good stewards, people to wait. It's okay. Wait till the market gets a little bit better. Wait till your business gets better. Wait till we start to see much more, call it flourishing inside of the space. So, so you've given away the punchline. Wait, is that is you're in the hurry on in time to listen to the rest of it? Then uh, shame on you. <laughs> you should go and educate yourself. But no, joking apart, we're all busy. So, wait is the hurry. So, just to translate for those of us who speak small business owner rather than 
of institutions. So the mid middle market investment bank, the really crude thing that you'll probably hate me saying, but to explain it, broker more or less, right? You stand between the owners of businesses and the people who buy them. Although I know that you have more sophisticated techniques and processes that come from, you know, many years in Wall Street. So put it in a simple sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that you really have two types of intermediaries in this space. You have a banker and a broker. And a banker is going to come with a much higher level of sophistication. We're going to be much more diverse in the way that we can help the company. We can do lots of advisory work. We can do lots of growth consulting. We can do lots of call it true BC or business consulting work outside of just a broker who is going only list your business for sale. That's it. That's all they do. They don't even need navigate your way through the best way to do it. It's more or less, we're just going to list your business for sale. So no disparagement, but that's really kind of the fork in the road where you've got the banker who's going to bring a lot more strategy to the sale and a broker who's going to just be a pure tactician when it comes to just your business. I know brokers, you might disagree with that distinction, but nevertheless, it's a clear statement. What should do is a panel discussion, aka fight with me as the referee at some point, that would be fun. But if general part, 20 years in institutional investing, that sort of Wall Street connections. I know that you've got your partners like Jason. He's got that, that years, you know, 20 odd years in institutional investing and lots of time Wall Street. Yeah, it's good strategic thinking. And I think it's germane really when, too, we're having discussions around what we're about to talk about, which is, hey, I'm a business owner and the bullish good times as an Amazon business have had the music stopped. What the heck do I do right now? And I think that's where you really start to see the fork in the road. And basically people passing around bad to each other until somebody goes, yeah, we can't keep passing this on anymore. And they just kind of flood the market with it and get out. I can't remember which company is supposed to be, I guess they didn't name it for fear of lawsuits, but so is, are we having an, an Amazon aggregator moment like that? So you think the music stopped for Amazon aggregators? Do you think the music stopped for Amazon? Has it stopped the entire CPG, aka consumer packaged goods, it's, you know, physical products type, e-commerce type goods? No, I mean, look, from a macro perspective, and I'll, I'll fairly quickly, there's just a lot of volatility and there's a lot of question marks currently on where we're headed. You know, we actually just sat in a conference room yesterday, the three of us, myself, Jason and Joe, and Joe put together a macroeconomic presentation for us to view on where he believes we're having a recession scare, when the recession is going to happen. And of course, a, a historical chart of M&A post-recession, pre-recession. So Right now, we're a little bit in that phase, what feels like a pre-recession, where M&A activity does slow down, advisory activity, consulting activity, growth, the what, do, what the heck do I do phase as a business owner, especially a small business owner, you feel that effect more than, say, a larger enterprise company or even a medium-sized business. And so I think we're in that phase right now where it's transactions are still getting done. There are still aggregators buying, by the way. But what's happened is, this idea that we've got lots of venture capital and mainly debt flooding the space right now. And we're looking for anything that basically breathes. That's how it came in. <laughs> if you've got profit and growth, which unless you were deaf, dumb, and blind, it felt like during the, during the COVID pop, <laughs> I'm of course, I'm just being, you know, cheeky as you would say, but if everyone experienced that, so everyone seemed to be a seemingly was a candidate. Problem was you had a lot of these M&A teams, they weren't chasing brand, they weren't chasing product development, they weren't chasing patents, utility patents, and a brand that's prolific and has awareness and has region, has diversification. They were chasing, I want evergreen product and profit, right? 
Well, what happens when COVID now comes away, a correction happened. We looked at the chart yesterday, it went up like this and it corrected a higher clip than we were before in terms of e-commerce sales overall, which is good. But you have this massive correction and then a lot of these brands, quote unquote, which is tough to say for Amazon, it not isn't always necessarily synonymous. They were immediately commoditized, right? And so because of it, you had a lot of these products that were purchased by these larger aggregators and you ran into two problems, right? One, a lot of the purchasing was done incorrectly. And then when you took the incorrect purchase through the conveyor belt of operations, it broke down quickly and continues to break down. And so when that happens, what do investors do? Investors care about one thing, return, money. That's all. And they'll invest in anything. They don't have passion for whatever. Their passion is money, right? And so as soon as they're starting to see this and their return starting to slip, every all the reins get pulled in. And that's effectively what we're feeling the larger investors pulling in the reins. Guys go through a restructure. The aggregators are feeling the pressure right now. The M&A teams are feeling the pressure. You better buy. If you're buying right now, you better buy really good because we're watching like a hawk. And so really what's happening is, and it's painful. It's a lot like, it's a lot like when you decide get in shape, right? Those first like six workouts, eight workouts are hellish, but then slowly but surely you get used to it. And then your endurance builds up and it just becomes a normal part of life. We're in that, a lot of the aggregators are in that period right now where they're just trying to figure out, okay, this really doesn't feel good. I've never done this before. It hurts. And so there's a lot of restructuring that's occurring. Uh, That's a great thing for the space. So as a business owner, how do I view all of this? Well, number one, if you want to go sell your business right now, if you're looking to sell your company to an aggregator, just know that A, the amount of people buying went from here to about here. And number two, multiples went from here to about here. So if you're okay with that and you've got a well-protected brand, what you believe is a good brand, growing and protected product, but growing to showing growth, good profitability. There's more than likely a chance you will actually sell your company. Just understand that you're not selling it for six, seven multiple anymore. By the way, we're talking just to put a, a, because it makes it less evergreen. We're talking August, 2022. Uh, I think the aggregator thing is just like, is so unevergreen that that was my first book that I was trying to put together for the podcast and uh, I'm regretting it, but hey. Uh, so August 2022 is this conversation. The last time I really dived into the aggregator thing was talking to a client who just sold to an aggregator for five and a half times. And, you know, the brand was well done. The, the EBITDA was like 30% or ST, whatever you're going to call it, you know, free tax profit was good. They sourced in the UK, sold in the UK. So there, there was, you know, working capital requirement was lower. It was therefore an attractive business. But, you know, I'd swear if they tried to sell it now, there were so many legal issues and what have you, bits and pieces around it that I don't think it would even sell. And if it did, then they'd be holding so much back. So I think he sold at the bang on right time. So what strikes me then, and my logical response is as a business owner, if you, you know, you're going to be savvy about certain things, okay, the number of people has shrunk or number of people buying has shrunk, the multiples have shrunk. If I've got a good brand and it's protected and I'm growing and I've got good profitability, I'm presuming that now is therefore a silly time to sell. Because if I've got growth and those other things, then I should have a more valuable business in future when the values may be reinflated. Is that your view as well? 
I would say yes and no. So I'm not going to go to and be like, oh, no one should sell right now. I, you know, the music stopped. No, definitely don't want to preach that message. What I'd rather say is, hey, look, speak to a professional, someone who can look beyond what's happening now, someone you can trust to kind of understand where can I anticipate, as you would say in the UK, the football, right? Where will the football be as I'm running down the pitch? Because right now, that's basically what's happened is the soccer ball has now been, or football has now been kicked and I need to anticipate where it's going to be while I'm running down the pitch. And so when you speak to a professional who's got a little bit more of a longer term view and strategic view, you can really dig in and understand, okay, where does my business need to be in order to now be that asset down the road? You, you have a real shot at moving out of just, we always talk about aggregators with Amazon businesses. They're synonymous for a reason. Because that's the liquidity that's been chasing them. Outside of that, it can be very difficult to get a deal done with private equity, family office, if that's all you are, is a 100% concentrated Amazon business, right? But I would say, look, we can assess if you've got real legs, power to go outside of, of just a aggregator process. And I'd say that's also the unfortunate thing with the education when it comes to ec in this space. It's all been around, I mean look everywhere. And I don't blame anybody for having the strategy, but it's just a very myopic view of how you should be speaking to a brand owner about their business is, oh, well, let's just get you to an aggregator. We can talk to you about the tenants of a business that we know a more strategic capital provider would be very interested in. And so that's the other thing that I would talk to a business owner about. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but Look, it's time for us to take a seat and realize that the way that most of us were taught how to sell product just through Amazon was very much diabolically opposed to the way that you're taught how to run brand at Procter and Gamble and Unilever and J and J and Kimberly Clark and real trade brands, no matter where you go, right? That was one thing I had to wrap my brain around. I come from a more traditional CPG, which is you've got your product development team and product is king, and you're really heavily focused on product development. You're heavily focused on protection and IP, on brand marketing, and how can I be prolific with my brand? What does that look like? And then, you know, different sales channels. I mean, you know, that was the one thing that when I was at a, a much larger company, it was about a half a billion dollar company. And we sold in lots of different retailers. One of our larger retailers represented close to 35% of our revenue and it was Walmart. And I remember sitting in boardrooms and all of us around the table sweating because we we're like, that's way too much. That's too much concentration. We need to become more diverse. Right. And so that's where I think this time period is a good time period for brand owners to really become what much, much better educated on how to really be a good brand, become more prolific and show the growth that can make them a much more valuable asset down the road. I really do think this is a good time to do it. That makes sense. I'm not, I guess in a way, what surprises me is not what's saying now, but the whole aggregator phenomenon really, because I, I was looking around when I was speaking to business. I think the first conversation I had with somebody who specialized in Amazon business broking, brokering, if that's even thing was, was back in about 2016. And that was a fairly lone voice and he really kind of cornered the market for a while because it wasn't a big thing, although there were transactions and he sent the newspaper out on sort of newsletter every month and showing the transaction volume and it did seem to be growing. So he was onto a small but niche thing. 
And then it blew up with the aggregators who suddenly decided that concentration risk and all the other like suspension risks that goes with that, just like you've offended somebody at one of their bears or your law or a regulation or whatever. So it's concentration risk, right? To put it in generic bucket. Suddenly the aggregators seem to not care about that. And now they do again. And this thing that surprises me is that they ever decided not to care about it enough that they saw that caused them to overlook what seems like an obvious problem and why have they decided that it is a problem again? Our arbitrage, pure and simple. Ar they, wanted, they wanted to arbitrage the multiple. And that was the, pretty much the thesis on every investment de deck uh, at its core. It was an arbitrage. I buy low. It goes on my balance sheet. It gets wrapped in with the entire fund. And now all of a sudden, half is now a 15, 20 multiple. So that was proven to be not the best model, clearly. I was going to say, so why is that? And equally, I'm sort of trying to pick holes in why, why the heck is, was it one way and why they changed their mind now? Why is that any, why is that thesis any different now? Is it because it's been proven to finances? Have they had enough time to even prove it? When they only kind of started buying like crazy about 18 months ago, didn't they? So, Yeah, well, multiples got overheated, number one. So businesses that had no, like for instance, and this was public knowledge, like Factory 14, they bought a bike business that went, that dropped EBITDA 60% a month after they bought it. I mean, and it was solely concentrated on Amazon. And so there was a lot of just arbitrage opportunity that turned into, now we got to operate these things. And the operations broke down quickly because that's another thing. And this is getting a little bit minutia, but it's a very, 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 very valid point. You start to take away the brand owner from running the business and you hand it to a brand manager, frankly speaking, never, ever ran a business before, has never been an operator. And you're sticking them in this new fund with all these new people who've never worked together before. So there's like zero simpatico, right? <laughs> Within anybody, you know, no one's really kind of, everyone's kind of learning their way, but it's a fund. You've got to, you've got to show inflection fast. And really the model just broke down. And so what we're going to see on the other side of this, and I'm already starting to have really strong, good conversations with some of the aggregators, like I'll give them a huge shout out. I think Elevate is doing the right way, man. They are thinking about the future of their brands in a very, very professional way. And I'd say there are others out there, but Elevate kind of being one of the larger ones, I think where they're headed in the conversations I've had with those guys, they have their head on their shoulders for sure. Yeah, I got to agree with that because I spoke to both of the Bells. I think it's Jeremy Bell who came on the actual show yeah. and I spoke to their, I don't know if she's still there even, but their chief marketing officer, they'd taken on low Marta, I think mm. it was. Just fantastically head screwed on. And they had somebody heading up the marketing who utterly understood the nuances. Uh, I thought of consumer, you know, CPG, consumer yeah. product marketing. And the guys who did the acquisition side were clearly expert acquisition. But they weren't relying on that single sole focus expertise. Because what strikes me as a total amateur in the, you know, investment space is that they were clearly, they knew a lot more than I did. And I've been very hated by a lot of conversations with a lot of aggregators on the, you know, how they evaluate businesses. But what they hadn't thought about is the same thing that was it, you know, 101 brands, the thesis somebody came up with several years about the idea of aggregating. Yeah. 101 commerce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th those guys, 101. And the same thing occurred, which is that. They, they bought, you know, about 20 brands. And at that point, 20 brands means probably, you know, 50, 60, 70 Amazon marketplaces because yeah. you got international ones. And the management piece just blew their That's minds. Right. The same reason that I remember Warren Buffett saying that he wasn't going to buy a bunch of real estate, but I think the, the numbers on paper 
uh, were, you know, depending when you invest in the US or for that matter in the UK, real estate or property looks incredibly attractive as an investment. And many people have gained a lot of wealth. But to scale, because you've got to find a lot of competent property managers. And anyone who's ever dealt with a property manager, either as a tenant or as a knows that they're pretty terrible mostly. So yeah. it, it seems to me the same thing, yeah. right? I mean, the numbers may stack up, but they, they fail to take the Warren Buffett wisdom into account, which is, yeah, the management's going to be a nightmare and don't do it. Is that, a, is that really what's happened or what is there, are there other factors? I think in most cases, yeah. I mean, look, I think what you have is you had a thesis breakdown, man. Thesis breakdown um, and a lot of pivot, a lot of restructuring that has to occur. And unfortunately, you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see a, you're going to see a account, man. It's already happening. You know, we've seen Factory 14 merge with, with Razor. We're going to see more of these aggregators that have been out there in somewhat of a prolific way. Uh, you're going to see their un- unfortunate demise. And a lot of it is they either couldn't keep up the gross. They're not too expensive. They weren't re- able to, they weren't able to recapitalize the debt and make it cheaper and able to get new equity to bridge or new debt to bridge kind of call it the slowdown of what's currently happening. And just and in general, I mean, look, sales online slowed down, went back to brick and mortar for it, right? And we're feeling that correction. So a lot of aggregators, they needed the bridge. A lot of them had in, like lots of, I mean, take Thras for instance, I, I heard they had over what, 400 million in inventory. You know? And I think we haven't heard much from Thras. And I think what they're doing is probably the best thing they could possibly do, which is because you had institutional investors going, I'm sorry, it's time to restructure. Like you, you've got to think about this completely different than we did four years ago. You know, and they don't have an M&A team. They have their full-on operator right now. And they're probably going to be that way for a couple of years because they've got to, they've got to structure, they've got to rationalize, and they've got to really turn into now what they've purchased and start turning it into a return. So that's all the investors care about it. So I think you know, that's, that's mainly what we're seeing and feeling. And, and the reason for, I'd say, call it default or for failure, et cetera, was a myriad of things, you know, on paper to your point, man, it looks good. Investment deck looks good. And, and you go, yeah. we're feeling the breakdown. We're feeling the breakdown. And also too, I don't believe that Thras and Elevate was one of the earlier ones. Perch. I don't think they realized in their investment thesis that in less than a year, there'd be a hundred of these aggregators. Yeah, I guess they hadn't, I mean, in a weird way to an Amazon seller, all of it looks incredibly familiar. I mean, number one, Amazon being a nightmare to operate and assistant and sometimes surprisingly clunky for a highly automated system as a seller, the automation becomes a barrier to scaling and operating rather than an asset for you. And then also the fact that when you pile into something that's attractive, a hundred other people pile in within about six months. To anyone who's sold on Amazon for a while, that feels very, very familiar. I guess that nobody had quite done that thing before, so you couldn't have a history to predict that. Right. But I do think the operational difficulty shows a degree of, can I say, ignorance is the polite term. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm trying to avoid the word arrogance because I just think anyone who's actually operated on Amazon for years could have told them that. I mean, if, if they'd hired a few Amazons, they'd hired the people who were selling brands to them. I guess they weren't going to say it's really difficult, don't buy my brand. But if they'd hired a few people as consultants who'd sold on Amazon for a few years, I think they might have got you know, that message, but maybe they just wouldn't choose and they thought they were operating on a different level. So yeah. It's interesting, but I guess crying over spilt milk. And I think we, we also wrap this episode up because I know we've got to do another one about what people should actually do if they want investment, which I'm very, very interested in. So I don't yes. want to miss that. But yeah. this sort of wrap, you, you said, said a few things like, you know, don't not sell, but sell if you've got on growth, everything else. 
So coming back to that thing I raised earlier, I mean, is it really a good time to sell or are there any specific reasons you should bother to sell right now in this environment? It really is case by case. Seriously. You know, it, it's, I mean, I, I spoke to somebody about a month ago who was really adamant about going to market, really adamant about selling the business. And, you know, it was just blunt with this person and just said, look, your margins aren't there yet. Your brand is okay, but you just started to kind of turn the ship around. You need to wait. And oh, by the way, if you go to market now, A, you might get a bid, you might sell your business. I'm not saying you might not. I'm just saying your chances are much more slim. You should expect a low multiple, at least with the thing that you care about, which is cash up front. And so that's it. That's one case. You know, another case, uh, we had a six forty million dollar top line business, Fender Central, on their way to six and a half million dollars of EBITDA. They've got a real, real shot at PE, no question. And so they're our client. We're taking them to market. We're shopping them to, you know, a select number of private equity shops because we just know the aggregators won't touch it, mainly because it's vendor central and et cetera. But, you know, business been around for 10 years. It's got a, a good brand. It's got real awareness. It's been featured in lots of different publications, you know, so that's just, it's case by case, right? Whereas it was like, early 21, you know, you couldn't pick up the phone fast enough of people wanting to sell their company. And you just knew that the liquidity chasing it, as long as it has a pulse, is probably it. <laughs> so it's just changed. We're, we're, in a, we're in a traditional environment now. I mean, look, M&A traditionally has been, not everybody can sell your business. We went through this period when inflated egos uh, popped out because they were getting 20, 20 emails a day from all these aggregators thinking, oh, they, everybody wants my business. And that's just, that's never been the case in the history of business. Business, And so we're just entering a more traditional, professionalized environment. And you got to be really darn good at what you do as a business owner. And that's why it's now case by case. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Although I would say that you're kind of backing your own thesis because you said that, you know, the criteria on sell, great brands, good profitability, growth. And I guess that growth and longevity of the business kind of show, you know, are two sides of the same coin. Cause if you've got a 10 year, you know, ramp over which you can show growth, then you've got a lot more history to show that the possibility that that will continue into the future rather than one year, I guess, right? Well, not one year would totally. be extreme, but that's right. Great. Well, look, we ought to wrap this one up because I do want okay. to get to the little, a little bite-sized episode about investment in businesses, which I'm quite excited about because it's something I've had my personal thesis that this should exist for several years and hasn't seemed to have done. So first of all, what are you guys? offer. You mentioned consulting services, you mentioned the sort of selling services. So what, what do you do? Yeah. Look, for your viewers listening, anybody listening, by all means, reach out. You can go to my website, fill out the consultation form, or you know, my, my email address is on the website. So just send me an email and I can give you just a good, solid assessment. We'll spend 30 minutes together. And I can tell you exactly where you are and where you need to be. And yes, we offer a suite of potential services where if you need growth consulting, really strong advisory or exit planning today, to maybe go to market in two years, but we go ahead and start the process of restructuring the company to where it's on the right path towards an exit. That whole idea of kind of anticipating where the hockey puck is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. Skate where the puck is going. Yeah. No, it's, that, it's funny when Americans use British metaphors, because I mean, in football, normally you don't normally kick it the whole way down the pitch. Whereas I guess in America, you probably throw it, you know, 80 yards or something. Really so yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I saw, I, I don't know who was the, I don't know who got it, but you know, I, I follow Liverpool and, and as is now my, one of my, one of my favorite players, that guy is just going to be an animal. And I saw some goals. I saw some goals where he had to anticipate exactly where to be on the pitch, right? Around the goalkeeper to get the ball inside. So score goals. Fair enough. I stand corrected. I mean, I know very little about sports, so I shouldn't even mention that, but so whichever sport you play in short, and I guess whichever sort of sector of e-commerce you're in, it sounds like you need to see, you need to get somebody who's got oh, really Joe good yeah, tailing yeah. powers, which is a really dark art. And we've had Joe on, on, you know, Joe, is it Joe Salmon? No, Rob Salmon. And we had Joe, remind me what Joe's second name is. Joe Hogg. Yeah. So Joe Hogg and your research team and the guys who try to see, you know, where the puck's going, where the football's going, whichever shape the football is. So yeah, those right. guys are, are really great. And we, I know you've got some great yep. insights and publications that's that right. you guys do as well. So if people want to get to the site, Global yep. Wired Advisors with an O-R-S, I was trying to spell it with an E for some reason, yeah. that's the place to go to check it out. So Chris, that's really right. great to talk to you. We're going to get you back on to talk about investments or you know, partial selling a bit of your company, but not giving the whole thing up, which I'm sure a lot of the more ambitious owners I know would be super keen on. Literally had a client about Three weeks ago, he refused an offer from an aggregator because he wanted, he didn't think it was, I thought it was actually pretty generous for where he was at in the business, but he wants to grow it and he wants investment, not a sale. So that's a great thing. So if you're listening, that's going to whet your appetite. Meanwhile, for the moment, Chris, thank you so much for coming up. Great. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.